Mark chapter 4. But we're really going to be looking, covering, um, taking a broad look at most of chapter 4, which has a variety of characters. But I really want to start with the story of um, Rosaria Champagne. She was a tenured professor of English at uh, Syracuse University. And she was an expert in feminist studies and came from a postmodern, very secularist perspective. She also was engaged in the uh, area of queer studies. So she was fully what you think of when you think of a modern English secular professor. And one of her areas that she was looking at was the religious right and how um, Christians on the right side of the spectrum and, and her contention was that they were using the Bible to speak against and even in, in the ways of hatred against the, uh, the LGBTQ community. And so one of the ways she expressed that, she wrote an article when promise keepers, so this was the 90s, uh, when promise keepers happened, she was very critical of promise keepers. Anyone here actually go to one of the promise keepers? Okay. Um, that was a huge thing in the, the 90s for, for men's events. State, I'm sure they would have came to probably Syracuse. And uh, I, I always had trouble because I thought they were great. They talked about men and teaching men how to um, love their wife. I mean, to love Jesus, love God, but also love and care for your wife. I remember they talking about how um, to honor your father, to have good relationships with other men. I mean, I thought everything they were teaching was good, and, and so it's hard for me to understand how you can be critical of it, but um, because of her article in the paper, she got a lot of very vitriolic responses, um, much likely from church um, But she did get one letter from a Presbyterian pastor that was more thoughtful from, from a pastor named Ken. So, so Rosaria wanted to do um, academic research on the, on the Bible and the religious right, but she knew that if she was going to be a good academic, she had to understand it from a perspective of people who believed it. So she needed someone who could help explain that to her. But she was wary of engaging, you know, the people who were very anti her. And, and so when she had that letter from Ken, she decided to contact him. He invited her to, to end a conversation. And so when she called him, um, he invited her to He said, come, let's talk. And so since something else happened, Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. And so she began to get into conversations and his wife. Um, and this, this is a thing that lasted years. Occasionally they would, she would bring up a passage and he would talk about it, but she also would ask him things to, to 
became a back and forth conversation. And then, she, as she was reading the Bible, something happened. It started to have an effect on her. So after years and years of this, something happened. The Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. And then things began to change inside. In other words, it went from being just an academic exercise to she started to realize that claims the Bible was making upon her and her life. And she began to deal, to think about those claims, those um, those issues for her herself individually. And after a time, she started um, going to Kent's church and hearing the Bible in a different way. And finally, here's how she described how she responded. The fog burned away. The whole Bible, each jot and tittle, was my open highway to a holy God. She, she trusted in the Lord, put her faith, and she talked about how she had to repent and surrender her independence to the God of the Bible. Um, and it changed everything for her. And so I would like to, at some point, maybe to, if you'd like to read her books yourself, but what happened is she left her tenured position, eventually. Uh, got involved in Christian scholarship, and she got married later in life um, to a Presbyterian pastor. <laughs> and so, a different one, not a um, but a younger guy. And so she became Rosaria Butterfield. And beyond that, she started getting involved in foster parenting. She was kind of outside the childbearing years herself. But they began taking and hurting kids and caring for them. And, and there's something from her involvement in the, the LGBTQ community that she had that they were very community hospitality oriented. They, they very much focused on community. She said one of the things that the church has in common with and maybe you can learn from that community is that, that hospitality factor. And she brought that focus from that into the church. And so she began to do radical hospitality. She would um, had a neighborhood invitation to, to, to come for soup. And every night she would have soup and meals that, that people could come in and people were lonely or looking for a place. And so again, I would invite you, those books are on on the screen, the, the first main one she wrote is The Secrets of an Unlikely Comfort. Um, she also has Openness Unhindered that tells more about the, the meaning for her and her thoughts on sexuality. So it's got changed everything. And the reason I share a story is I think her life highlights one of the parables that, that we read is that the word of God, the message for her started as a seed, something really small. And it grew to fill her whole life. It changed everything about it. The, the word of God in the Bible began, grew to 
place of protection in her house, shade from the harshness of this world to the people around her. So it's an example of what Jesus talked about in that parable of the Today, we're going to go through Mark 4. This is the first major block of Jesus' teaching. And in it, we see that the main metaphor is the scattering of seed. Jesus pictured that the message of the kingdom being like seed being scattered throughout the ground. Um, Mark's interesting because we don't see a lot of Jesus' teaching in Mark. There's three groupings of teaching that come up in Mark's gospel. One is, is and the bulk of it, is when Jesus responds to, to challenges or events or questions. You know, people come up and ask him a question, and that's when we get his teaching. Um, the other area will come later in Mark 13, when Jesus' disciples asked him about the destruction of Jerusalem, what he meant when he said something about that. And Jesus gives a long discourse on the end of the age. So that was mostly for his disciples. And that's later. And then we have Mark 4. And this is the one place where it says Jesus taught the crowds in public. So now we get a sense in Mark 4 of what Jesus was actually teaching um, the people. Mark keeps saying, you know, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one by authority. This is what he was teaching. He was teaching about the kingdom, the coming of God's kingdom. Think about what he had said before. He had come announcing the good news of the kingdom, and now in these parables, he's going to teach what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so he's parables of the kingdom. So, what else do we see? So, in, uh, we see Jesus taught the crowds. In parables, he had an unconventional teaching style. So in Mark 4, the, it starts off by describing this. And it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, that would be the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. So there was such a large crowd that Jesus had to, um, he had to use the boat as a buffer so that he had space between him and the crowd. So he caught the crowds, and, and it says, and as he was teaching them, he taught in parables. And that's when we get the first parable of this. Parables are metaphors or short stories that have a spiritual and Jesus took the things that people of his day, um, I don't know who brought this up here, I think it's been here a while. How fortuitous. I'm like, I should have some seeds. Instead, I got this. Like, he, he took the things that they were familiar with and used them to teach about spiritual truths, things that could not be seen. Right? So he took the common area things. Back when I was doing uh, ministry of teenagers uh, back in, uh, in Ohio, the end of the break. Um, I had one kid at Buckeye Trail High School, and he uh, he took everything we were doing about the thing, he took everything I did, and he put it in terms he could understand that karmic Right. And so he had trouble understanding the teaching, but he'd say, oh, so what you're saying is it's like a carburetor. 
And you know, you go into the, this long spiel, and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. I still don't know what a carburetor does. Don't try to explain it to me, I won't get it. But like, for him, it made sense, you know? He took everything, the truth, and he took it in his life. You know, car, not a mechanic, his truck, because he was always working on his car. Jesus did that for his audience. He took the things that they could see and were familiar with and said, this is what the kingdom of God is. So he taught in parables. But then, he got alone with his disciples and explained to them the deeper meaning or whatever he meant. Because, um, so we go to, to verse 10, and it says that when he was alone, so he teach the crowds, he'd do that this, and then he'd get alone, he'd go around, he'd witness fathers, and they asked him about the parables. And that's when he would teach them what they meant. And it says the same thing in verses 33 and 34. Is that up there? Yes. With many such parables, he spoke the word of them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them about a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So they would ask, and he would elucidate. How cool would that be? You know, you're one of the disciples, you hear the, the main teaching, and you're like, Jesus, what did you actually mean when you said that? Um, that's the way it worked in, in his ministry. Um, but here's the funny thing. Jesus says, and he knew, the crowds would not understand. Right? And, and, and earlier in Mark 4, he's talking to the disciples, and they, they asked him about it, and he says, how, how do you not understand? And then it says, to you, meaning his followers, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Like, I'm telling you, the secrets people have been waiting for for ages. I'm giving this to you. But from those on the outside, those who are the crowds, the men, this is always perplexing. Those on the outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So wait a second. Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to teach a parable so that they don't that they don't understand. Does that make sense to you? Why? Why does Jesus teach in parables when he knows the crowds won't get it? They won't get what he's saying. And so I've had to really think about this, and I've come up with two reasons. One is Jesus is announcing the coming of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. But it's not yet fully in form. Right? The kingdom will not come in its fullness until Jesus gives his life on the cross and bears the penalty for sin and then is raised again from the dead and is then able to pour out the Spirit on his people. That's when the kingdom starts to flower and bloom into the fullness of what it's meant to be. Right now, what is the kingdom? It's a seed. It's him. Right? It's his ministry. In other words, they're not able yet to see it. And so Jesus is announcing what is coming and what is already there in the seed form. It's like if you had an acorn. Could you tell that that's going to be an oak? No. So he's, he's announcing the truth in a way that they'll remember when the 
over. 
viral than it was 100 years, and ultimately spread and take over the whole world. That's the power of a seed. That is what the message of the kingdom is about. The second thing I want to pull out of this is that the people, the people will respond to the gospel message in different ways. And this is what the disciples, I think where Jesus is inviting the disciples to, to join him and scatter the seed. So he will, he will spread the message, but so will they. And what will they see in how people respond? Well, that's where the parable of the poor soil is, right? Some people will outright reject it. The path that falls along the seed, they'll hear it, and they just won't even take it in. And Jesus explains later, God has an enemy that doesn't want them to see or know the truth. And so that enemy will use the things of this world to distract people, to keep them so busy that they never have time to think about life and its meaning and the deeper issues. And so the seed is taken away. That's one response. Another response, though, will be some who, who get really excited about the message who seemingly take it in. But, he explains, but it doesn't grow. It's not real. The seed never actually takes root. It just sits upon the rock. And though it seems to spring up, and they're all excited about church or, or, or other things like that, when it gets tough, they walk away. Because it was never real in their life in the first place. So you're going to see that response. Well, and then you're going to see those who do see the seed start to grow into their life, who really have that real relationship, but they let the worries of this world, the, the things that they want, the things that they strive for, to keep them from ever growing into the full plane of their life. So they never actually grow through their life. Jesus gives those three different responses. And you think about as they as they share the truth, the good news, they would have seen those. Have you seen those? Have you been a part of maybe just the ministry of the church or some, something where you, you share the message and you've seen people respond in each of those three different ways? Can you relate to that? Um, but the next point then is, don't worry. Because the kingdom of God will spread and grow even when the majority reject it. Right? He, he says there's three ways to re reject the message, but, but then you'll have three that, you know, the one that does grow into the good soil, that will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. So there's, you'll see three different responses in that, 30, 60, 100 fold. Um, it's okay. God is not dependent on the crowds the majority receiving the message for his kingdom to grow. It is a narrow road. And only if you find it, those few are enough to keep the seeds spreading further and further. The message is going to go forth. The kingdom of God is coming in this world. It is at hand and it's still growing now. I remember when I was still in high school, I, I went to... Um, Camp, a discipleship orientation. Uh, the year before, I had gone to that same camp and had met the Lord and came to faith. But I went with my leader, this time it was more to help grow 
picture myself still sitting on the grass near this lake and talking about this very passage. And, and we talked about the four soils and what it meant. And he looked at us, a small group of, of the kids at Perry High School. He said, do you want to be the type of soil that produces all of this all this. Do you want to be a seeker? Is that what you want for your life? And so as we were getting near to graduation, it's leading us to, you know, you could be the kind of person who shares the good news with others. And I remember just making that decision. Yeah. Whatever it takes, I want my life to bear fruit for Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what do you want to come out of your and maybe this is what you need to hear today. Is, is you can be a seeker. You can join with Christ in scattering the good news and seeing lives change. Is that something you want for your life? Continuing on. God calls his people to go public with the message of the kingdom. So, moving through the, the parables, after the parable for soils, he, he tells one, and this is the one in Mark 4 that's not about um, a seed, it's, it's about a lake. And in 4 he says, says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. So what he's saying is if there's a lamp, it's meant to be out there. And God has set up the church, his people. And their intention is to, 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 um, to share the light. He doesn't intend for the light to be hidden. It's not meant to be secret. The church is public in its teachings. Have you ever had, do you know of any groups where their core teaching is private? In other words, you have to be inducted at a certain level to find out what that group is about. There were groups in, in ancient Rome like that. They were called the mystery religions. Um, Christianity is not to be like that. The secret is out. The message is public. Um, and we are to be a part of, of casting out that message. We are to have public times where we teach. And the doors are open for people to visit and hear what we teach. The, the, we have these great windows so people can see. We're not doing things in secret, right? Um, it's out there. It's open. It's meant to be shared with others. He goes on in this to do something that I think can be confusing. He says, um, for to the one who has has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I've always wondered, I've thought about what that means, and, and here's what I've thought. Think especially applying to a church. The church that has the message of the gospel and is, is sharing it, teaching it, spreading it, that church will have more and more as it draws the people who want to share the good news. But there are congregations
congregations that kind of downplay the message, that are no longer convinced it's true, that they're more about the social networking within those. So even the little they have will be taken away from them. Have we not seen that in the church? That congregations that believe that Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened, and we can't help but take him out to people. Such churches keep growing. But those who are about social relationships slowly fade and die. That's uh, one of the parables. Continuing on. I love this one. 4.26. This is the one that we read at the beginning. And it's simply this. God is at work in people's lives in ways we cannot see or control. So verse, verse 4.26 says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. So sometimes we think of who's scattering the seed. Is it God? Is it Jesus? Well, in this case, it's talking about the scatterer not knowing what's, what's going on. So it's referring to us, his followers, right? This is about us, the disciples of Jesus, spreading the seed further. And so what's it saying? We're not in control of the process, right? We don't even know what's going on in the lives of many people. We're to, to bear the message and to, to scatter the seeds. But it's not up to us to make them grow. We can't figure out the perfect church program that will get people saved. Right? It, it's got to be God at work in the stillness and hardness of people's hearts. People coming to faith in Jesus is not something we can manufacture. It's, now, we have, to, we have our part. We have part of scattering the seed. And then it goes on to say, and after it grows, and then that person does come to faith, it says, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle, because the harvest has come. We harvest the, the grain. In other words, we incorporate them. We bring them in to the, the fellowship of believers. But we can't make anything grow. I'm convinced God is at work in the hearts and lives of people you know. You may not feel it. You, know, you may not see what's going on, but there are people around you who God is speaking to, maybe in the, the quietness of a rainy day, and they're thinking about life, they're thinking about maybe COVID, has them thinking about their mortality in ways they've never had before. And who but knows what he's doing? And so we have to be attuned to the Holy Spirit, the one who truly wins people for Christ. We don't win people for Jesus. We're just sea scatterers at best. But we can be attuned, and when that time is right, we can invite them in and respond to their questions. So God is at work in people's lives in ways we cannot see or control. Another point from Mark 4. The kingdom will start small, but grow to fill the whole people. I, I see this speaking on two levels. Uh, one is the personal. The, the little small seed that starts as the good news of Jesus, when it comes in, it eventually fills our whole life. The good news of Jesus needs to reach every part of your heart. It 
Start simply by surrendering. This is the story of, of Rosario, right? She eventually, she started reading the word, and it grew in, and then it changed everything about her. There's no part of your life that God does not want to touch with the good news of Jesus. If you trust him, he will transform how you relate to people, how you do your job. He'll transform your habits and your hobbies. He'll, he'll deal with your sex life and your spending habits. It all starts by giving to him what you know of yourself to what you know of him. It starts as a seed, but it's going to grow bigger in your life. This also speaks, though, I think, a broader level, on the level of the world. The field is also considered the whole world. The kingdom of Christ will be a benefit to even those who ignore or reject it. So in this parable, it says the mustard seed grows within to take up the whole field. The field is the world, world. And so the kingdom was starting with just Jesus and his 12 apostles. In Acts, Acts 1, it talks about there being 120 total who are part of the community of followers of Jesus. No one in Rome gave much thought to those people. But within a couple of years, that seed would grow to fill up the entire Roman Empire. And it would grow to spread throughout the world. So that now you're talking throughout the world, there are, are three billion people who would, would fall under the, the category of Christians. It's still growing. The good news is still spreading. And the great news, friends, is we get to be a part of spreading that message. We get to be a part of, of seeing it grow. And here's the thing. As it grows, it says it gives branches that give shade to the birds. I think that's what this is saying, is that Christians, and we do the work of the kingdom, we, we start hospitals, we start orphanages, um, Christians have fought against slavery and addiction, Christians run soup kitchens and homeless shelters, right? Things that are blessings throughout the whole world. Sometimes the world takes it for granted, but they all, all those things started ultimately because of followers of Jesus that led by the Holy Spirit to live out a kingdom in this world. That's part of how we should share the seed. To bring it to close, we get the part of scattering the seed throughout the area, throughout the world. Together, we get to share the good news. I think there's three ways that happens. First, by receiving and letting the seeds of God's word grow throughout our whole life. We are to take what God has said and let it grow in us. Let it reach the parts of us that are hard to reach. Is there an area of your life that the message of Christ is not yet touched? Second, you get to be a seed scatterer by making the good news clear throughout our teaching. Now, some of that falls on me, uh, but we also do this as a congregation as we study the words together, as we, we share them with people. Um, sometimes you might be a translator for, for people. As I, when I speak in the Mesoton, you can help translate the people who, who, would, who would be able to understand it. You get to, to, to get involved in their lives and help that make clear to them. So we scatter the seed by making the good news clear our attention. And third, we scatter the seed 
by making the good news real within our community. As we bring the kingdom to life, as we give away food, uh, grocery things, bags, all summer long, as we get involved in ministries that, that care for the poor, as we, we are faithful to, to the Lord at work and do a good job, all the ways we live out the truth by how we express it. And we bring the blessings of the kingdom to even those who are not part of the kingdom. That's how we scatter May God guide us as we live out, as we see it grow in our area, as we see it grow through this church. Father, I thank you that you, you have taught us and are teaching us how to share the good news of the kingdom in our community. I thank you that this is real and has the power to change people's lives, has the power to bring grace to those who desperately need grace. It has the power to, to bring light to those whose lives are, are lived in the darkness. Lord, may we be faithful. And maybe continue on, even when the response is not always what we would hope for. Maybe we understand that the kingdom is growing. Your kingdom is coming into this world. Thank you that we can be a part of it.